team, the bad boys of wrestling. Just in competition, win the war, that's the mission. Not no mercy. Good afternoon. The band is back together. Welcome to another edition of Cleveland Sports Insiders, a monumental occasion. Episode number 75. It's March 29, 2014. I am your host, as always, uh, CSI writer, uh, columnist uh, Jim Pete, joined as always by my two brothers, uh, Michael Hattery and Steve Orbanic. Uh, gentlemen, uh, we're back. Uh, brand new Cleveland Indian season about to start as the Cleveland. Cavalier season starts to wrap up, and as we gear up for the NBA, as we uh, gear up for uh, another uh, NFL draft, uh, gentlemen, uh, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jim. The band is back together. Apro pro. Um, I'll tell you what, we are expected to get three to seven inches of snow in Erie, PA. That's why you see the uh, little festive Santa hat that I'll be, I'm rocking for this episode of CSI. But doing well. Glad to have us all together. Michael, how are you? You're looking a little uh, tired there. Uh, you have a long night or something? I look outstanding. Positively peachy. And, uh, yeah, let's roll. Well, yeah, we, we believe in ego here at CSI. <laughs> Definitely believe in ego. <laughs> well, let's kind of kick things into gear. Uh, we're, you know, our, our home base is Cleveland Indians, and season, of course, starting on Monday. Uh, let's talk a little bit of spring training as we kind of wrap things up. And while spring training stats mean absolutely nothing, uh, let's start the show off with just kind of random banter about uh, what you guys thought about spring training in particular. Uh, was there uh, is there anything you're concerned about heading into this season? Uh, with regards to this team, and, and uh, since you've mentioned the fact that you're going to get half, half a, half a foot of snow, my, uh, Steve, uh, let's start off with you. Uh, you know, I, I know you're thinking baseball as you look out the window, uh, but is there anything concerning about this Cleveland Indians team uh, heading into the season? Well, I mean, that's 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 a broad question, um, but you know, it's, I, I think what we've talked about, we've all talked about. Uh, Many times, I know all three of us. You know, I, I, I still have concern over the rotation. I just think I understand. You know, I, I like you both. I expect Salazar to have a tremendous year. You know, if he had pitched two less innings last year, I think he'd be a prime candidate for Rookie of the Year. However, I just I, I, the back of that rotation with Zach McAllister, uh, Carlos Carrasco, I, I just am very hesitant on. You know, I love Zach McAllister. You know, probably one of my favorite players on the entire team, but I, I can't get over the fact that he just really wasn't the same after that injury last year, that finger injury, and beyond that, I mean, you kind of know when, when you've seen that movie before and it gets a little tired, you know, and you start to recite all the lines, that's how I feel about Carlos Carrasco, I just, I, 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 I it just, I, I'll tell you what, I, I just don't, I, 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 I'm not feeling it, and you know, I just, I think that with Carrasco, you know what you're going to get. We've seen it how many times now? How many opportunities? Uh, you know, three, four? What is this? I, I mean, it just – so I'm still very hesitant. I think, uh, you know, that's going to be a key hurdle for them to overcome because I don't expect Carrasco to last. I just don't – he didn't even show me enough in spring training to, to uh, I guess, make me believe he'd be a capable starter. And, and what, what, to put that in perspective, you know, Terry Francona, of course, tribe manager, when he was talking about Carrasco's one rough start, you know, he was pretty – Blunt, as blunt as you will see Francona talk, and the fact that he basically said, you know, he didn't trust his stuff, he was, you know, he, it was pretty negative, as negative as a manager was going to talk. Even when McAllister or Kluber, you know, would have some rough outings, though, this, this, 
with spring, he'd say, well, you know, I thought they threw pretty well still. And, and that tells me that even Carrasco's going to be on a short leash here, and I just, I, I, I'm very hesitant. I think that they're going to have to find another starter somewhere. Could be within, could be Josh Tomlin. Maybe, you know, cross your fingers, a miracle for Trevor Bauer, but the, the, the point I'm getting at in the roundabout way here is the rotation's still a major issue to me. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I you know, and Mike made a a good point uh, about Carrasco many moons ago. Uh, I brought it back up in my latest corner piece. But uh, Mike, I remember last year when you were talking Carrasco, and and, and Steve actually may have mentioned this in a separate pod, uh, talking about his K rate. Uh, you know, we hear about Carrasco's quote unquote special stuff. The funny thing is, in at the major league level, his K rate has been in the fives. It's never been special. He had maybe uh, one short stint with the Indians where I think it was up over seven, but overall in his career it's been uh, in the upper fives, nothing too special. Uh, so when you, comp when you comp him to Tomlin, while it's clear they don't have the same stuff, uh, they actually comp quite well, uh, K per nine and, and walks per nine. Uh, Tomlin be having a special kind of walk rate. Of course, when you throw 79 miles per hour, uh, it's easier, I guess, to throw strikes. But, uh, Mike, as I kind of swing swing the ball over to you, I think uh, it's pretty obvious the starting rotation is, is kind of the concern. Uh, when you lose uh, Yabaldo Jimenez and, and Scott Casimir, two-fifths of your rotation, uh, from a very successful year with the rotation in 2013. That's got to be a concern, right? Uh, uh, do you see this rotation uh, uh, carrying on? I, you, you hear a lot of pundits say uh, that this rotation is more solid than it was to start the year last year. Uh, I disagree with that in many ways. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, uh, talk Salazar, talk uh, uh, Masterson, talk Kluber. I know we talked a little off air about those three. Uh, there is potential there to have something special, though, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, I think... In terms of we've seen these guys have productive seasons the year before and, you know, we have more confidence in them moving into this year. That's absolutely fair. But I think you do have a situation where Kluber experienced an injury last year. Masterson did. Salazar, I mean, while he's two years or two to three years away from Tommy John, he's still two to three years away from Tommy John. He's had a little... Three, yeah. He's had some issues that, you know, in spring training that have been very minor, but, you know, slow beginning, which is not something I think they need to read into. But I agree. I think the back end is really interesting. Um, specifically, there's no reason to have distinct confidence in Zach McAllister and Carlos Carrasco. I think McAllister's really a five-starter, and I think he's competent there. I think he's going to be solid. Um, but there's no reason to, to have any sort of certain positivity with this back end. I think there's upside there. There's upside with Carrasco, and, and that's what's going to be his label forever. Um, but, you know, the fact that he hasn't reached it yet really makes you question that sort of confidence rating. And in terms of what's coming next, I like Tomlin, and Tomlin's growing on me. I think he added one or two miles per hour average velo to his fastball, which helps that curveball play off it. We can see his K-rate escalate a little bit, and that becomes really, really interesting, I think. That's one thing from spring training that does interest me because it's not statistic. You know, in terms of his velo, you could see him playing off it well, and he always controls the strike zone, and I like those guys. Um, you know, so I think we're going to see one of McAllister or Carrasco out of this rotation within six weeks, and, and Carrasco could really lock in, uh, but I just haven't seen it. And, Steve, you know, what you pointed to in terms of those comments from Francona, I couldn't get past those. I think these are really important. You know, in back-to-back -back starts, Francona said he didn't do what we wanted him to do. He didn't do what he needed to do. He didn't listen. And that that's just unacceptable, you know, and, and that shows that head that's constantly been a little unhinged at the worst possible time and really put the Indians in a bind last year when Carrasco had a major opportunity. So I think those can't be looked past. I think he has talent. 
Um, but really, he has to prove it at this point, and, and I, I don't have any sort of confidence in him doing so. I, I think, you know, when, when you talk about a guy like Carrasco and, and you hear kind of the irrational thoughts by, by lots of people, not only uh, not only uh, fans but, but some media who, who try to compare Carrasco to a guy like Ubaldo Jimenez, I think what people fail to realize is that their, their, their foundation is very different. I mean, Ubaldo Jimenez, of course, for a while was considered one of the best pitchers in baseball uh, through a no-hitter. And Carlos Carrasco had really a five-week span, not even a five-week span, where he was good, really good. Uh, and that's it. Uh, he was okay in other 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 spots, but he never really uh, stepped up to the plate. So I think expecting Carlos Carrasco to do something he's never done is unfair to him, and unfair to Mickey Calloway, who many are, are elevating to this irrational level of 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 turning these pitchers into something brilliant. Uh, I you know we need Carrasco to be a serviceable number five. Could he be that? I think he could. Uh, will he be that? I think it's a long shot at best. Uh, again, I, I kind of leave that number five starter, though, is kind of a, 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 something you can fill in throughout the year, and hopefully someone stands out. I, I think ultimately I'd like to see a guy like Bauer move into that role, maybe in a Salazar sort of way by August, uh, or perhaps even a guy like, like as, as, as Steve mentioned in a piece that he wrote before, uh, I'd like to see Cody Anderson ultimately have a great season in the minor leagues and perhaps fill that role down the road. So I don't know. There are a lot of questions about this rotation, but uh, let's transition over to the offense and let's talk to the talk about the elephant in the room, uh, Carlos uh, Santana, the other Carlos, uh, moving to third base. Uh, I, I was a bit surprised uh, that they announced that he was going to be the regular and uh, I, I'm going to throw this to Steve mainly to check to see if he's still here um, as it looks like his face is frozen. But uh, Steve, uh, what do you think about Santana as the starting third baseman? I, I, I agree with you very much. I was surprised as well. Um, but, but, you know, I like it. I, I'm the type of person, um, you know, I think I've soured on Lonnie Chisholm a long time ago. Another, you know, it's just, I, I'm a big, my thing is, I, I, I guess when you have a prospect, and if you show me no signs ever in like a three-year span, and I, and I mean like not even a glimmer, I basically, I'm not sold on you. I feel like, you know, I guess compare this, you know, to talk about Santana. Remember when he first made his jump to the majors back in 2010 before his devastating injury at the plate? Right away, you knew he was special. Then Jason Kipnis, right away, you knew they were special. Now, there was, there was bumps along the road, don't get me wrong, as there always is, but you knew there was something. Even Jose Ramirez, right away, you could see there's something there. Lonnie Chisholm, Carlos Carrasco, you know, very similar in that regard that, you know, they really haven't showed me anything. I, you know, I'll take that back. Carrasco did have a nice one-month stint, June 2011. You can't take that away from him. However, you know, for the most part, it took, you know, Carrasco never showed anything in his first attempts up there. And, you know, it took, you know, Chisholm, what has he ever shown? Really? I mean, I, he has never really shown me anything. So I think this is good. I think it's better for the team. I think Santana's going to grow. It's kind of a, you know, I, I think it's a work on the, you know, basically learn on the job type experience, you know, and that, that's what he's going to do. He's going to be continuing to learn this position each day, getting better. I think it makes the team better. You know, it lengthens them. Um, you know, I think it, it might have been, you know, in many ways not the most popular move because the fact that you're giving a guy with, you know, let's face it, has not been a regular third base since he was in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. You're giving him the keys to third base, but 
I think it definitely makes the team better. I think it lengthens the lineup. I think, you know, now Chisholm Hall's going to be better used because, let's face it, he really is more of a platoon player to begin with. I mean, that, that's what he has. If he's shown anything in his three-plus years with the Indians, that, that he it is he profiles to be a left-handed bat off the bench. And I think we would, you know, I, I, that's all we can really say at this point. So I like it. Um, there's going to be bumps. You know, there's going to be some bumps along the road. But... I think the team is better here, and uh, I think, you know, I think Santana, I, you know, I saw a number before about how his offense is actually better at first base. I think it might help him, too, offensively, not having to focus, you know, on catching so much. I think uh, it's going to be a good move for the Indians. Absolutely. I, although I do have some major concerns, and and the I guess there are three. Um, you have Justin Masterson, who's one of the five most ground ball dominant guys in Major League Baseball. You have Corey Kluber, who, who leans that way a little bit. You have Carlos Carrasco, who's a ground ball pitcher. You have Ezdrubal Cabrera and Carlos Santana playing the left side of the infield, which, um, you know, I think in terms of range is probably one of the worst defensive ranges, you know, we've seen in probably 25 to 30 years in Cleveland. One of the worst, in, probably the worst in Major League Baseball. I mean, Ezdrubal Cabrera is the worst defensive shortstop in Major League Baseball, and Santana's going to struggle to be not be the worst defensive third baseman just because he's acclimating himself to a position. He's a big guy. Um, it's all about instincts, but, you know, he has to prove that he has them, and we don't know. Um, we really can't tell yet, but, you know, that's really dangerous when you have the ground ball dominant staff. Um, so that concerns me. But on the other hand, you can't give the job to Lonnie Chisholm. Uh, you know, Steve pointed to the fact that he's just a platoon bat at this point, and really not an incredibly good platoon bat. You know, last year he he hit okay against righties. Um, you know, he was competent, uh, but that would only be okay if he could be competent against lefties. The sort of production he had against righties, he still only hit 241 against righties. His weighted RC plus was under 100, so he's below league average against right-handed pitching at his position. The guy has the Incredibly poor plate discipline, which has never improved. Uh, his chase has improved never just at a tick. So I mean, we really just, uh, you know, Lonnie Chisholm should be thankful that he made this major league roster to me right now because, um, you know, it's out of the fact that they, des- you know, he'll he'll get some defensive opportunities late in games because they don't have anybody else who can play it a lot better. Maybe he and Avilas are pretty comparable defenders at third. Um, I like Lonnie. Uh, I, but we just haven't seen it. He's another guy. We haven't seen it. We've given him a lot of opportunities because we're a small market club and we can't afford to pay for somebody to play the position other than him. Well, I like – what I like, I, you know, you, you mentioned – I think the fact that his Steve kind of threw in there, I think I think it's interesting that they – he's never improved. He's the same guy that he was uh, from 2012 on. He's not improved anything uh, realistically. And while people call him a, a, a solid – I've I've heard people call him a solid defender, but if you watch if you watched him play, I mean, big situations he seems to fold under pressure. And uh, this just goes back, you know, you want to talk about prospects, and I know uh, as writers at IBI we deal a lot with prospects, but you want to talk about the hit and miss nature of of predicting prospects. Uh, this was a guy that that everybody, you know, Tony Lastoria at IBI uh, and everybody else at one point had ranked number one as a top prospect uh, ahead of Kipnis, and 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 this just goes to show you kind of the the, the the unpredictability about this that when you get them in front like an Andy uh, Andy uh, Marte and you get a guy like that uh, the, these the hit miss prospect of predicting prospects is is that kind of thing and I I you know it, we're at that point now with with his career where in all honesty he's at that stage of his career right now where he's a fill in um, we don't have anybody else who can play third base right now but I will tell you this uh, when Jason Giambi comes back when Michael Bourne comes back. 
Uh, Lonnie Chisenhall is gone, uh, and he'll be back at Columbus. Uh, if he's with this team in 2015, I will be surprised. Uh, what I do like about this is the simple fact that uh, he's playing with his back to the wall now. So perhaps this will, if anything is going to wake him up, it's this. Um, he's in a position where he has to win playing time, and, and that's never a bad thing for a guy who you used to consider as a number one guy. But uh, unfortunately, I think it's going to be a short-term short call for Lonnie Chisholm, and he's going to go the way of uh, a guy like Matt Laporta. And, and this is no rip to Laporta. This is no rip to Chisholm. It's just the way Major League Baseball plays out. Uh, Carlos Santana is intriguing. Uh, it's going to be a fun year, I think, watching him play. I think we're going to get to see him enter his prime this year. Uh, but I, no projections. Um, but I, I do think uh, we mentioned Carrasco and we mentioned Chisholm. I don't think either one of these guys are going to be with the team. I'll even go so far as to say this. Uh, I don't think Car Carlos Carrasco is going to be with this team come June 1st. I think that they are going to uh, DFA this guy and he's going to get picked up by somebody else. That's how little I think they think of him by June 1st. Uh, I do want to talk about Kipnis and, and Santana, though, guys. Uh, uh, let's, let's, let's talk irrational. Uh, how good could they be this year? I mean, could we could could, could we conceivably see uh, either one of these guys make a run uh, at an MVP this year? I mean, could they? We've been waiting for Kipnis to be consistent, consistently great uh, from 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 April until October, and uh, and you could make a case that Santana has been fairly consistently great uh, since he's come back from. Uh, his concussion in June of 2012. Uh, are are we in line potentially to see these two guys come into their prime in a season where the Indians really need them to? Uh, let's start off with you, Mike. Uh, what are your thoughts? I know you're you've been as big a, a Santana proponent as anybody. Uh, could we see either one of these guys or both uh, do some special things this year? Yeah, you know, I think the the brilliant thing about Santana is that you know he's traditionally been really good at things that are always undervalued. Um, in terms of, you know, he's an incredible on-base guy. His OPS is plus. Uh, his walk and, you know, his play discipline, while it's, it's oft-criticized, is actually very, very impressive, which adds a lot of value to this lineup. And, you know, I think the power is something that people always want. We saw those 27 homers in his first full season. We saw the burst of power there, and that was kind of the expectation, and, and that's been unfair to him when you look at everything else he does offensively. Uh, but wait, I wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me he can be a non-traditional power hitter? That's possible? No, no. Yes. <laughs> but what's going to happen here is he's going to hit 25 this year. And that's that's a nice little rhyme, and it's going to be nice to watch. And that's it, it's as simple as that. I think we're going to see a little more power production. We're going to see some more RBIs, um, which don't really <laughs> matter because they're just accounting statistics. <laughs> but it's going to happen because, you know, the table might actually be set for him. Because I think Francona is going to be much more willing to have guys like Swisher in front of him, to have a guy like Brantley up there if Bourne struggles to get on base. When you have guys who get on base in front of you, you drive in more runs. And when you have somebody like Kipnis around, you're going to drive in more runs. And it's as simple as that. Um, so I, I would point Don't to that. Don't forget about as Drupal Cabrera. So I think for the for the simple and and you know sad-minded, they'll be more. In, impressed by Carlos Santana's production this year just because what's going to happen you know, with the rest of the lineup setting the table for him. I think he's going to have a really good year. I think we might see a 390 OBP, 450 slugging. We could see a 900 OPS season from him maybe, which would be outstanding. Um, and, and I'm excited for it. I, I, you know what, I agree completely. I think... Uh... I really expect good things. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go as high as a 900 OPS, but I think certainly 880. I could see something like that. Um, absolutely. I think you know we are going to see a little bit of a you know uh, 
power surge as well. I think, you know, he, he does, like I said earlier, he's, I think he plays better when he's playing in the field. You know, it takes some of that pressure of having to catch all those games. And I think he's going to be more focused. I think that's going to help him. I think he's going to like, you know, getting his uniform dirty every game, you know, getting down there, grabbing those balls, picking them out. And I, I think you're going to see that often, that translate to his offensive game a bit. I, I think, you know, I'm not going to go as far and say that I think he could be like an MVP candidate, but I think you could see, you know, 280 batting average. I think 90 ribbies is, you know, a good expectation. Um, and, and, you know, the thing is, you know, Michael, I, I hear you say RBIs are overrated. Yeah, certainly as, as an evaluating statistic, absolutely they are. But you look at every team that, you know, usually is a playoff team and makes a run, they usually have a 100 RBI guy on their team. And I'll tell you what. You know, I, I, I'm yearning for that a bit, man. I'm yearning for someone to drive in 100. Well, I'm trying to think, when was the last time the Indians had a guy drive in 100? I'm thinking, was it Pronk? It must have been Hafner. It must have been Hafner in, Hafner and Victor in 2007, if I'm correct. Yeah, Victor and Hafner both had 100 rubies in 2007. And I, if I, now correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe we have had a player driving 100 since then. And I want that, man. I want that now. I don't know if that's going to be Kipnis. I don't think. I think Santana would have a better chance, you know, because of his bat. But, you know, I expect very good things from Santana. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say I don't. I don't think he'll get to 100 rubies, but it sure would be nice. I think, you know, we could see 90 from him. I think he's going to be kind of the catalyst for this team offensively, and they're going to lean on him. You know, he and, and you have to. He's such a good player. Um, you know, because of his plate discipline, because of the guy is going to get over 100 walks every year, every single year. I mean, he is so valuable. One of the more underrated players. You know, I mean, everyone likes Jason Kipnis. I still think Santana is more valuable to this team. And the nice thing is, too, you know, you're putting that bat at a position where it's still going to have a heck of a lot of value at third base. You know, um, much more value than it would have at say, first base, for example. So uh, I expect very good things. And I think, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Jim. This could be the year where he really breaks out. I, I expect an all-star appearance. I'll, I'll put it like that. Believe it or not, in his first year at third base, I expect an all-star appearance. That that might sound outlandish, but when you factor in the walks, the fact that I see a guy who's going to hit you know 285, have an OPS of almost 900, uh, I expect you know between 25 and 30 home runs. Even though that's you know unrealistic, I know that you know he hasn't really approached that 27 number, but but I think he is this year. It's just one of those guts I have. And guys, let's face it. You know, let, let's look at my batting average in 2013. Must we start Yobaldo Jimenez? Uh, you know, talk about some of these predictions. So, basically, what I said in 2013 turned to gold. Josh Gordon, remember Josh Gordon, too? I think that 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 one turned to gold, too. Anyhow, not to toot my own horn, but I'm just saying, I, I, I've done pretty well with this little prediction game. So, uh, Carlos Santana, it's happening. <laughs> Well, as we will we enter the summer of Steve 2014 revisited, I, I'll be all right with that, especially if Santana does rebound. Of course, um, I also agree with you, and if we have to rehash my 2013 predictions, I don't know. While I got one here and there, I also said the Trent Richardson deal sucked. So that being said, I shall maybe... Which we liked the stuff. deal. We liked the deal, mind you. I loved the deal. It was incredible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that said, um, I, I do I do want to mention the defensive piece, and I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I am concerned because we have uh, Swisher at first, we have Kipnis at second, we have Cabrera at, at short, and we have Santana at third. Uh, and I saying it out loud for the first time this season, um, it strikes fear into me. 
Uh, I, I know a lot of people kind of uh, poo-poo defense, and I know you have to have a pitching staff that kind of fits, and I think we do for the most part. Uh, but but do you guys have any fear in this? I mean, we truly have uh, uh, an infield that looks like it could just be one of the worst infield defenses in the league. Uh, uh, any quick thoughts on that, gentlemen? Uh, either one, take it away. As Drubal, terrible. Why is he on the team? That, that that's you know it, it's to be a leadoff hitter. Yeah, he's leadoff hitter. Come on, he's leading off today. He's going to be our leadoff hitter. You're you're right, but you know I have no. You're it's a good point, Jim. Um, you know, and that's uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I have Yay! no. Yay, leadoff hitter. Yes, yes. Sorry, okay. I'm coming leadoff, back to reality well, now. I, I, I just I, I don't I don't have any I, I agree it's you know and Michael pointed out early this is going to be a real bad infield defense you know and you're going to see it it, it might be a factor I, I don't know I just I, I have no faith in Asdrubal Cabrera none at all I, I think that they needed to trade him so many times ago they should have traded him I just I have no faith in him none you know I think really impressive um, is that Justin Masterson and Ubaldo Jimenez were able to be as good as they were last year being ground ball dominant starters. And, you know, in fact, uh, if you look at them, you know, if, if Francisco Lindor is playing shortstop this season, you know, that has a tangible, you know, run effect on Justin Masterson's production. Absolutely. Um, so I think it's really scary to me. Um, when I was looking at this, you know, I think when I was looking at off-season pitching, you know, my, my deal was, you know, for the Indians, they have a really good outfield defense, and, you know, progressive field is, is fly ball favorable, you know, for starting pitchers. So really that's what you want with this team right now. If your starting pitcher throws ground balls, it's going to be tough on you. It's gonna, they're going to cost you defensively, and it's going to hurt in terms of run prevention. You always want to have a positive run differential. It doesn't matter how you get there. And this infield is going to affect that run def differential, and hopefully their offense covers their defensive inadequacy. Yeah, I, you know, it, it is what it is. And I, I kind of segued into the Lindor thing, and I'm glad you mentioned him, Mike. You know, I, I think we've been following his career for a while, and uh, there's been a lot of speculation about how the Indians are going to handle him, and, and a lot of people saying that he's probably not going to step field and, and progressive field this year, uh, but will be the starting guy in 2015, basing this on the Asdrubal Cabrera situation. Of course, Cabrera playing his last year in Cleveland and looking good in spring training, and of course a lot of people putting a lot of weight into that. Uh, not us, but a lot of others putting a lot of weight into that. But uh, let's look at Lindor. Instead of looking at it from the Cabrera perspective, let it, let's look at the Lindor perspective. Could we see a situation, uh, as Mike Trout did a couple of seasons ago, uh, and I'm not comparing Lindor to Trout, I'm just comparing their situations, where Trout played so well that he played his way onto that Angels team uh, and debuted with, against the Indians that year, uh, ultimately had a phenomenal year where, where he battled for the MVP. Uh, again, I'm not saying Lindor is going to do that, but could, could we see a scenario where Francisco Lindor is so good, uh, and all reports out there from everybody that I know, it, it, are stating that not only is he showing a lot with the glove, but his bat is taking monumental leaps and bounds. Uh, might we see a scenario where Francisco Lindor is playing so well right now that he forces his way onto the team? And and could it be, um, regardless of, of what we think of as Drupal Cabrera, or is Terry Francona such the manager uh, that he loves his guys, uh, loves his veterans, and... Uh, doesn't uh, doesn't give him his opportunity. Of course, we've seen Francona like rookies, and we've seen him like his veterans. Uh, could Lindor play his way onto this team this year? Uh, Steve, what do you think? 
I mean, I think it could possibly happen, but I think he's going to, you know, give Asdrubal... I mean, he is very much a player's manager. He's going to give Asdrubal as many chances as possible. And, you know, I, I think the other thing is there, you know, I'm ragging on Asdrubal here, but we all want him to succeed. I mean, an ideal ideal situation is somehow, by be it by smoke or mirrors or whatever, Asdrubal has a very strong first half of the season, and you deal him at the deadline still just because, even if you're contending, you deal him. Now... That won't happen because it would send the right the wrong message, you know. And teammates aren't going to want to like to see a player who's performing well traded at the deadline. It's just it's it's not going to happen. However, let's just say in a perfect let's let's just consider it. Yeah, I mean, and then ideally you bring up Lindor. He does well. You lose nothing. If anything, you get a little bit of an upgrade, and you restock the farm a little bit with so whatever with whatever return you get for Azrubal. Now, that's not going to happen. But uh, I'm hesitant though because that won't happen. I don't see another scenario where. I guess, where, where Lindor would make the team just to take Cabrera's spot. Now, let, let me preface that first. What I mean is, you know, the Indians, I don't think they're going to fall that far out of it. Even if they do, like, let's say they fall out of it and they trade Cabrera, I, I, I don't think them, you know, even if they're having a rough year, they're going to still be in the hunt enough that they wouldn't trade Cabrera at the deadline. I, I just don't see that happening. And so my point then is, how do you bring up Lindor, you know, and to find the time for him? Because if you bring him up, that's not a guy you bring up to, you know, split time with Cabrera. He's got to be playing every day. And, you know, you at the same time, you don't want to be, you know, doing that to your veteran, uh, you know, and, and then upsetting him, you know, upsetting the culture of the team, especially because whatever we think about Astrid Cabrera, the fact remains he's been on this team for years. And, and you can't, you know, I'm sure he has his allies in the clubhouse. You can't be doing that. So it's tough. It's a challenge. Um, you know, there's really no easy way, easy solution here. But so I think it's very unlikely that uh, you know we see Lindor before September because of that reason. You know, I, I just don't. I I want him to be on the team, Jim. Don't get me wrong. I want to see that happen. I just don't know a scenario where that where that happens. Now, what do you think, Mike? I mean, I know I know we're big J Ram guys, we're big Joey Wendell guys, uh, but we, and we often put Lindor to the side, not because he's not as better than those two, but because um, it's such a given how good he is, uh, you know, is there a situation where uh, his value is so great in the minor leagues as a player and, and his potential so good to a lineup that could be battling for a pennant uh, that he makes the team uh, regardless of what his Drupal Cabrera does? Yeah, I think Swyden is uh, a Smart guy wrote a, a piece of ESPN a couple of weeks ago for ESPN Insider making the case that the Indians should just roll with Francisco Lindor at shortstop and deal Nasdrubal Cabrera for a bag of baseballs, and I completely agree. Um, I I would if you could have shed 20% of his salary, and I know this sounds really bold because Lindor's played less than 20 games at Double A, um, but he's the type of talent that makes the transition to the big leagues quickly. He's an incredibly hard worker. His play discipline is absolutely unbelievable. It's outstanding. He controls the bat head well. He controls the strike zone well. He's not going to hurt you offensively as he, you know, and so he can be fine his first year in, in Major League Baseball, not hurt you offensively. And then you have his defensive value. And right now he can be a top five defender in Major League Baseball behind maybe Simmons and Andrus really the only guys you could name who would be better defenders than him. So that's where you are. And with a ground ball staff, you know, a pitching staff that was one of the better ones in Major League Baseball, bringing a lot of guys back and introducing Danny Salazar for a full season, as well as a ground ball guy in Carrasco, you have to think that would add tremendous value at shortstop. I would have loved to have seen them gone with him right from the beginning. I know that's bold, and that's okay. 
You know, I'm not here to be right all the time, but you know, I think that's what they need to do. That's what they should have done. And I'm irritated that I'm going to have to watch Azubu Cabrera lays around in the middle of the infield and hope to God that he has a 3.20 OBP so we can get rid of him by the deadline. <laughs> but, but Michael, Michael, see, I, I want to. You, you know, I agree with everything you're saying. Everything. My point is, there is no way that's going to happen, though. It's oh really- yeah, it's not. It's not. We're, I mean, we're stuck. We're stuck with a year of Azubu Cabrera unless you know he loses a limb. Um. And he would still probably be the same defender he is without his left leg as he is with his left leg right now. So, I mean, I, I don't know. They'd still play him. I mean, really, uh, he's, I guess he's a veteran. <sighs> Yuck. Uh, let me, let me, let me, I, let me just jump in here. I, you know, I, I, we're, I think we're trying to black and white Terry Francona too much. I, I, if you look at the way that he's handled his teams in the past, uh, the Red Sox included, uh, he is a guy who gives his veterans every chance, but when they prove to fail, he has not hesitated in the least to move them. And uh, while bullpen is probably not the best place to look, I think the Vinny Pestano move last year is an indicator of that. He's done that with Boston, uh, bringing up young guys uh, during pennant runs in the past. Um, as a matter of fact, the bulk of that 2007 team, uh, you know, two young guys on that team uh, who are currently uh, studs uh, in Major League Baseball right now, uh, I could see a scenario where uh, as Drupal Cabrera pulls a number like he did this year uh, or last year where, where we get to a point in July where the Indians are contending and Francona says enough. I could see a scenario where he does that. I mean, do you guys not – I mean, am I that deluded to think that Terry Francona – couldn't see like Francisco Lindor hammering on the door, and again, I realize there's some irrational thought here. Uh, but of course, if we were just to talk the moves that the Indians made in the hot stove season, we would have a boring podcast. But could we not see a scenario in July that if they are contending, where Terry Francona, who has built up a ton of trust with this team, um, can't make a move where we have a guy who's going to be leaving at the end of the year anyways? We couldn't see a scenario where this guy gets benched. Uh, in favor of a guy like Lindor, who's batting 300, say, and who's fielding like a major leaguer. Very possible. Uh, you know, Francona's the guy who stuck with a young Dustin Pedroia, who for the first month and a half of his major league career struggled to hit 220 in the big leagues because he knew his talent. He's willing to stick with one, young guys who are talented and work hard, and he was willing to send Benny Pistano down and, and move other guys out. So it's absolutely a possibility. And, you know, on the other hand... I love being irrationally rational, uh, but there's no doubt in my mind to me that this team is better if Francisco Lindor is the starting shortstop on opening day than Ezreal Cabrera. There's no doubt in my mind. There's not a shadow of a doubt. And so that's where we are. Preach it, brother. Preach it. <laughs> and I know... Well, I... Yeah, no, I agree. Go ahead, Mike. I mean, it, it sounds absurd, and, I, and I'm ready for it, and I'm ready for the other people who write... Um, who who want to attempt to maintain some sort of hold to the the process, the minor league process, where he is at the ladder, um, and and that's wonderfully old school, and I and I find it to be quite wonderful, and it's very easy to rationalize yourself from that point, but you know it's it's just not true. I agree. Well, you know, and the thing with Lindor, and and I think this is the thing that. And to be fair to Cleveland media that we're a part of, and to be fair to the Cleveland fans out there, I think what people don't realize, and maybe you know, maybe we even understate it a lot at CSI uh, and and at our time our time at IBI. I think I think it's understated how good 
Lindor is. I think I think when you see reports from people outside of Cleveland stating that. Um, I, I can't remember the report. Maybe you guys can fill me in. Uh, someone said, someone respectable, well, I don't know about respectable, but someone in the national media said that uh, Lindor was considered by most people to have the best makeup of a minor leaguer in baseball. Did, did you, do you guys recall this? It was some yeah. point within the past couple of I think of it, was, it was Parks, correct? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and, and when you hear stuff like that, and, and it kind of it kind of fills in our eye test because we see this kid play and we see the same types of things. And, uh, you know, the diatribes, Al uh, Chimichella, who says, you know, uh, here's a guy who's showing power, uh, who's fielding uh, uh, kind of uh, exploits or just phenomenal out there in spring training. And when you put this package together, uh, again, not to compare to a guy like, like Mike Trout, uh, but has that same kind of intangible. Uh, and the only reason why I'm spending so much time with this is I really get the impression uh, that the Indians are looking at him uh, in a similar fashion that, that the Angels are. And that, that Cabrera could be a, a – I don't think they're going to use Cabrera as as a, uh, a, a kind of a, 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 I don't know, a detour sign. I think they're going to look at him as a, here's your shot, try to earn your contract next year, and if you don't, we've got a couple of guys who can take your place. And, and I don't know, I, you know, I just think Francona is that kind of guy. And I don't, I, let's kind of move away from this, but I, I, I think Lindor has a shot. And I think if, if the Indians want to be serious, uh, much like you mentioned, Steve, with, with Cody Anderson, I think that they have to look at all possibilities. And, and if we're sitting there in July and, and Cabrera is batting 230, and Cabrera is you know, either hitting home runs or striking out, uh, this is a guy in fielding, you know, like cement, you know, a cement mixer. Uh, this is a guy that we need to sit down on the bench. I'm not saying DFA the guy, but we need to sit him on the bench at the very least. Uh, or maybe you DFA him. I don't know. I, I'm just so sick of saying, well, he's valuable. Because he's valuable because you're paying him money. That's it. You know, Lindor's the guy who's there. And if he's ready, if he comes out and he gets to AAA by May, then you got to look at him in July. That's my point. But let's move on. Let's digress. Let's digress to something else. Um, let's look at a guy like David Murphy who gets no press. Uh, Mike, this is your chance to shine. I, I, uh, you know, they signed Murphy right out of the gate, and, and this seems to be like a, a devil race kind of move. Uh, you know, you got a guy who who regressed last year. Uh, tell me why we should be excited about. I, I don't know if "excited" is the right word, but tell me why we should be uh, looking at David Murphy uh, as being a plus. Uh, you know, he's 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 a facsimile of David DeJesus, um, and and what the Rays do well. He's going to be an incredible platoon guy. He's a little more than a platoon guy. He's competent enough against righties that you can play him 20 or 30 games against, I mean, I apologize, lefties, um, and he's going to be, he's, he's not going to hurt you. He's a solid defender in right and left. He'll give you a little value there. Um, if you look at his BABIP, and more importantly, his ex-BABIP, which is expected BABIP based on certain line drive and, and other tendencies, which I don't want to explain on air right now because they're complex, um, one can expect a you know, 40, 50 pump, point bump, um, which means he's going to return closer to what he was, maybe a 270 hitter with 10 homer power, um, and really just has great success against right-handed pitching. Um, so with good defensive value, I mean, he's a good asset. Um, compared to the marketplace, they got a deal on him. Uh, it's 2-12, and 12, um, and really, you know, cost of a win this offseason was a lot higher um, than what we paid for David Murphy. So... Great deal. I'm positive about him. I know Pluto has a lot of doubts about him based on his spring training numbers in last season, both of which are pretty limited samples. So, I mean, I can yield to Pluto, but I'm not as concerned. Yeah. 
I agree. I mean, it's. Though I mean, there's there's potential there, but I just it's at the end of the day, it's still kind of hard to get super excited over David Murphy. Um, you know, it's a nice little signing. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's still you know David Murphy. Uh, and don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah, he he might rebound. Um, you know, and he's he's a nice little piece certainly, but it's just. I, 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 I don't know. I guess I, I would have rather them see something where rather than have a platoon of Murphy, Raver, and whatever, you, you go out and, and, you know, get an actual outfielder. But, I, you know, a guy to hold down the position. But, of course, you know, we're talking about the Indians. We're talking about, you know, the, the, the price of a win. And that's not going to happen, not with the Indians. But it's it's he is, I think, a good candidate to uh, bounce back, um, you know. But what do you expect? I mean, what's a realist expectation for war on a guy like David Murphy this year? Two? Yeah, I, I, I would say, I would say that would be, you know, I, if he, if he does his job, I would say that's realistic. I mean, to expect, uh, I guess, I guess your, your comp to him would be Rayburn last year, uh, from the other side of the plate, of course. But I, I think, I think that would be fair. I think there's upside there. Um, it just depends how much playing time he gets. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it, don't get me wrong. I know I, I'm coming off so negative. I, I guess what just frustrates me is, it's just. You look at our out. It, it's it just goes back to the main issue. I mean, look at our outfield. I mean, don't get me wrong, but just <laughs> Brantley, Bourne, Murphy, Rayburn. You know, I, I don't. I, I. It's just it's frustrating that they've never been able to, I suppose, get that true corner outfielder with power. You know, and it's again, we're getting into totally off topic here. We're getting into an organization organizational problem. But you know, it's just at the end of the day, it's David Murphy. You know, it's fine, but it's David Murphy. Are we really talking about David Murphy? You know, it's you know. His name is David Murphy. You know, uh, I mean, what it's you know, might as well call him Eddie Murphy. But the the thing is, my my point is just I I don't know. It's it's just one of those moves. I just uh, I don't know. It's we'll see what happens. But uh, it's you know, like like you say, Jim. If I had my way, we Eddie Eddie Mur I'm still Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Eddie Listen, Murphy. I would Eddie like Mur to see Eddie Murphy. I would Eddie, give him a chance. Eddie Murphy would have some wheels on him. I guarantee you that. That that, that guy, he could he could patrol center field. We could throw Charlie Murphy out there too. You know his brother Charlie. Uh, but you know, <laughs> nonetheless, it's like you know, I, I I just it's it's David Murphy. But that that's what I'm saying. That's why if I had my way, we put Kipnis in the outfield. We put Jose Ramirez at second base. You yeah, you. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And then we wouldn't be sitting here talking for ten minutes about David Murphy. Like you know, that's that's our big signing. That that's no irrational thought. No irrational thought allowed. You're not allowed to do that but, but in the Cleveland the meeting, thing. my friends. Free thinking. Free thinking is not allowed. If you are a, if you are no. an analyst, free thinking is not something that is no. allowed. No creativity no is not effective in this marketplace. Creativity should be suppressed. The point you is this. can't move Jason Kipnis to the outfield. I mean, he only played there his whole life until he came to Cleveland. I mean, he did. On. I know. I know. But but listen, at the end of the day, guys, here's my thing. The big free agent signing this year, the big free agent signing for the Cleveland Indians, David freaking Murphy. Now, you know, I understand it's... Good segue. I was going to segue to this. Good. I, I Talk about the organizational issue because I wrote about this that, that week after... Yeah. Every year we have a good year. What do we do? Is talk about it. Just drives me nuts. And if I talk about it, I'm gonna. They're gonna suspend. And I know. And don't get me wrong. CSI. I know. I know that Michael, you said earlier you're feeling optimistic. You know, and, and I and, and I've said though. You know, certainly as much as I as much as I have struggled with the rotation this year, where did we stand last year on 
March 29th in regard to the rotation. You know what I mean? We had more question marks, seriously. So, you know, I mean, give, give them that. But it's just the follow-up. I mean, we're... I understand what we're saying, and I understand your, your positive comments about David Murphy, but we're literally, instead of talking about something else, we're trying to find a way to say like all these positive things about David Murphy because we have no damn other signing to talk about but David Murphy. You know, <laughs> That's why I'm talking about Eddie Murphy in the outfield. Because we have these Sean Markham. Sean Markham. Mark Lowe. Seriously, though. Sean Markham, yeah, that... Mark Lowe! Yeah, Mark Lowe. Mark Lowe. Markham. Sean, Mark, yeah, Sean Marco or Markham, whatever, Marco Polo. You know, we could, sign, we could sign Rob Lowe and Eddie Murphy. Well, that's the thing. Think of that signed Mark Lowe. I see who that was. Mark Lowe. I thought we were talking about Rob Lowe. I thought he was like coming out of Hollywood or something. <laughs> Point is, we signed this stuff. We didn't make any real big move, and now we're sitting here complimenting this David Murphy move. Sure, two years, twelve million dollars. You know, below market price, whatever. End of the day. It's David Murphy, and I already added five minutes to this David Murphy conversation, so I'm ending it now. There's nothing more to say. It's David Murphy. He'll be worth two wins, and still we have an outfield. We have nothing that resembles a corner outfield, like a, a premier corner outfielder still. Nothing. I completely disagree with that comment. What's that? We have a corner outfielder. Our right fielder, our right fielder this year is probably going to hit 20 to 25 home runs. And he's probably going to have 70 RBIs, and he's probably going to hit like 270 with a 330 OVP. Between Rayburn and Murphy, that's what's going to happen in right field this year. Okay, sure. It's fine. just not sexy. It's just not sexy. I because nonetheless, my my friend, it's if you're going to tell low, me, my friend, Rob Lowe is gorgeous. <laughs> he is. If, if you're going to tell me that you would rather take that over a premier corner outfielder. Fine, but my my point being, if you it's know, cost, if it's cost effective, I actually agree with I actually agree with Mike. Uh, it, but if you can, I mean, you know, it's not like we could get a deal. It's not like there was a, a pre arbitration chew out there. Okay, no, that's the right. problem. So, so if we if we're talking about this, we're we're gonna pay. You know, if you combine them, if we if we if they play 162 games, Murphy and Rayburn, you know, their combined statistics. I think projecting 20 homers, 70 ribbies, and three. 30 OBP is what we'd expect from them, right? Which is about, like, about, what Nick Swisher... Okay, okay, so that's about what Nick Swisher had production-wise before we signed him to $13 million a year. Um, but he's going to play first now, and we're paying $8 million a year for that right field production. Yes, right. I, you made so, I mean... Point. No, I... Yeah, no, I... Yeah, I, I think... I think I think the frustration that you have, Steve, is, is kind of what I was talking about way back in October, that when the Indians, the Indians truly are, and I think we can all agree with this, that the Indians, it feels like the Indians, at least it did on October 2nd of last year, it felt like the Indians were kind of on the edge of really pushing forward, that we had a manager like Terry Francona, a very good uh, coaching staff, and we had a team uh, with Ubaldo Jimenez and Scott Casimir uh, that seemed to be on the on the precipice of doing something more than just being a wild card team. And I, I think the frustration is, is we've watched Ubaldo Jimenez go, and we've watched Scott Casimir go, and, 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 and I think everybody who lit, reads our stuff, and a lot of people do, I, th I think, um, you know, we rationally or irrationally wanted both of them back. 
Uh, we rationally or irrationally wanted the Indians to be a player in this free agent market, and instead what they did is they signed David Murphy, and they, they talked cost-effectiveness. And, um, you know, I, I guess as we look organizationally, um, I, you know, Mike, and I guess you're the best one to talk about this uh, in a rational sense because, um, of course, you're a big uh, – you like the model that the Rays and the A's to some extent have created. Um, is this uh, – uh, uh, is this uh, – uh, and, and, and let me kind of twofold this because I think, Steve, you, you can look at this in a different pronged way. Um, you know, Mike, is this is this a, a a visible statement by the Indians that they're moving to this cost-effective way? And I'll let you go first, Mike. And, and Steve, um, your part of this is um, is this a, a direct result of the attendance? I mean, if 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 we could up the attendance by five, six, seven thousand, could the Indians then go out and maybe get that prototypical right fielder? Uh, let's start with you, Mike. I mean, is this a more visible vision of the Indians kind of moving towards that raise mentality? I think it absolutely is, but I think there are some issues with, with the Rays model. And, and, you know, the Tampa Bay model is, is incredibly complex, both in terms of discussing player value as well as how they attempt to make, you know, fi responsible financial decisions for the franchise. And I think the one thing... And the Rays that, have far less money than the Indians, which is a sad statement for the Rays, but, but, but that's a big part of it. They do. And, and I think when we look at it, the Rays have... Um, outside of locking down Longoria and then making a bet on Will Myers, David Price, um, they've they've shown the ability to move guys out very quickly. And and you know I think in terms of receiving value back and continuing to contend, that's that's very impressive. Um, but for a team that's continued to contend for six, seven, eight years, their inability to draw even in a market that isn't great, the location of the stadium is a clear issue in Tampa. Um, makes you question whether or not you can be completely adherent to that doctrine. Okay, and, and this is where the Masterson decision comes in to me. Um, I think cost-wise, it's a push. It's a, it's a complete push for the Indians. 17.5 per year for Masterson's a challenge. Um, especially when for that two be, years, for, for two, two years, years, two years. I'm it's sorry. limited, but it's still a challenge. I think financially, it's I agree. Cost I agree. Sell. I, I being, yeah, and, I agree. and so I understand it. Um, but on the other hand, I think for a, a set of fans that want continuity um, going forward, um, maybe sometimes you can adhere to the let's let him go, give him the qualifying offer, take the pick, and move on method, or let's deal him for an asset method. I think sometimes you have to keep a guy around that defies what the model would expect responsibly um, in terms of evaluation. I think Masterson may be one of those guys where it's more important to keep him around to the franchise than it is to the on-field value. And I agree completely there. And Jim, you know, and that that is my frustration with the David Murphy thing. You know, Michael, I didn't, I didn't mean to three under the brush. You're absolutely right. The signing, it's it was cost effective. You're right. Him and Rayburn, they'll do pretty. They'll be fine. You know, it'll be a nice little contingent out there in right field. My point here is though, that's what we're talking about. We're getting excited over David Murphy. We let Jimenez go. We Masterson's going to be gone. You know, it's just, and and the thing is, with this Masterson decision, what's so telling about this? You guys better believe. From now on, if the Indians don't get to extend a pitcher before his arbitration years, we will never extend a pitcher. That's what this. That is what this proves to me. It will. There is never a deal that's going to be done. And, and the point here is, think about that. You're right. Seventeen point five million dollars a year is a challenge, without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt. That is a challenge to a small market team like the Indians. But the Indians have always made the point that it's about the years, not the money. That's a two years. It's limited risk on a two-year deal, and number two, if you're trying to build something, 
if you're trying to build a consistent winner, which that's what they feed us, that's what they say, you have well, to do Steve, that. Well, and Steve, what kind of investment, and, and this is kind of what I was getting at with attendance, what kind of investment is $17.5 million for two, two years? I mean, how big a PR piece is that as well? Um, do you think that plays a part into it too? I mean, that's kind of what irritates me is if they would assign him to that two-year deal, that to me is an investment for your future, at least attendance-wise, possibly, possibly. You, you would hope, absolutely, but see, I don't know. I'm so sporadic on the attendance. I mean, I really thought at one point last year when they were showing that they were going to be contenders, people would start coming, but it never happened. They had one sellout all last year, one, and that was opening day. In 2011, in 2011 when they went 80 and 82, they had four sellouts. Four. We had one sellout last year, opening day. So this year is going to be telling because they are coming up with nine playoff game in season. We have so we have to see what happens. We do. I mean, and that that is an issue. Don't get me wrong. It it it's 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 a total issue, Jim. Is the attendance? But you're right. They had to do something for PR, and th this this is what you look at. I mean, how much is it to hire people to work PR to do stuff like that to actually market a team? You spend tons of money on advertising on all that. Boom. How much money do they send on billboards, on radio campaigns, on the what if, on the unfinished business campaign? Signing Masterson takes that out of your PR budget because that's what it is. That's what that move is. And what's so frustrating here is, as the Indians, there will never, ever be a deal that is perfect for this team, ever. Because you look at it, Masterson was too many dollars, all right, but the years were right. Jimenez, the dollars were perfect, but it's too many years, four years. But at $12 million a year, oh my gosh, that is salivation, my friends. I salivated $12.5 $12 million for Jimenez, for a pitcher with that type of upside at 29 years old. I'm foaming at the mouth for that type of deal. But the thing is, neither one, each one, has a hindrance to the Indians. So here's the point. If they weren't going to take either one of those deals, never ever, Will they sign a pitcher unless you can get to him before his pre-arbitration year? So like you had pointed out before, Michael, in our piece that posted uh, Friday at IBI, you got to get Salazar now and try to get you know maybe two option years to tack off two option years for potential free agent years. Get, take up his arbitration years, and maybe you get two options. Similar to liken it to the 2008 Fausto Carmona deal. Liken it to that. You know, Look up that deal. Try to get Salazar to that type of deal right now, which at the time was a record for a player with as little service time as Carmona had. I, I'm sorry, Roberto Hernandez. That's what you need to do. But my point is, it's just very frustrating when you know now, if let's say Salazar, if he gets past his pre-arbitration years, he's gone. And we have to accept that because it will never happen. And that's the case with Kluber. That's the case with Zach McAllister. If they get past these pre-arbitration years, they are gone. And I'm sorry. That's just that's a tough pill to swallow as a fan, and you know I love the Indians as much as you all do, but at the end of the day, this move for Masterson that should be coming right out of your PR budget, and I'm I'm sorry it's just it's it's tough it's tough to continue to defend this type of thing it just is. Well, and th this is where this is I think the frustrating thing for me is is if you're not going to and we've talked about this and I've talked about this for a year and gotten into several arguments about this about how the Indians were never intent on signing any uh, player coming out of arbitration to a long-term deal and dubbed it the Jake Westbrook rule uh, but it was really prior to Westbrook I think um, I think the frustrating thing for me is, uh, you know, as, as we talk about that Salazar thing that Mike talked about, and uh, you, you have to have a, a backup approach. If you decide as an organization that you're not going to sign a pitcher like Casper, a pitcher like uh, 
Ubaldo Jimenez, a pitcher like Justin Masterson, to long-term deal when they come out of their arbitration years. If you don't, if you're not willing to spend 17 plus million dollars, as they've shown in the past by dealing Sabathia, uh, as they've shown in the past by dealing Cliff Lee, um, clearly they're going to be doing the same with Justin Masterson. Uh, I guess then, then you need to have something to back that up. And, of course, John Hart was the creator of those long-term deals for young players. Um, now, granted, you have to understand you're going to hit and miss with a deal like that. But a deal, you look at a deal, you look at a deal like uh, Carmona where you have, uh, uh, you sign a long-term deal. And you could even, listen, you're talking about a guy like, like, like uh, whether you want to mention it or not, Salazar has health issues in the past. Why would he turn down a deal that escalates, even if it's a series of one-year deals? Uh, you look at the deal that, that I think it's Matt Moore, and maybe Mike, Mike knows this better offhand. I believe a guy like Moore, maybe it was Shields prior to that. I think it might have been Shields. Maybe both. Uh, where the Rays signed a long-term deal uh, into their free agent years, uh, where it was literally a series of one-year contracts with team options, but escalating deals where it went, I think, 8, 10, 12, something like that. Um, why wouldn't a team like the Indians then fall back on that? And they've not done that either. And that's it almost feels like they've gone aimless. And, and, and I've, I've talked uh, to uh, another C or a CSI guy, John Grimm, about this specifically, uh, where he's mentioned this as well. Um, and, and Mike, I mean... It, it, Am I correct there? It, isn't one of those pitchers I mentioned, don't they have, uh, like, didn't they sign, like, a six- or seven-year deal where they had a series of yeah. one-year deals at the tail end? Yeah. It might even have been Price. Yeah, um, so, so why is it that the, the Indians aren't doing that? Like, how can you explain to me? So is their plan this? You just get lucky with your young pitchers. You let your veteran pitchers go, and you hope to hell you can find a guy like like Millwood or Casimir, that's arm is about to fall off, and oh my gosh, he's going to have a great year. Is that what they're banking on, these hit-or-miss guys? Because if that's the case, then as good as Antonetti was to get Terry Francona, we need a new front. And, and again, we're going way off tangent, but this cannot be their plan. Because if it is, our, our misses with starting pitching in the past, and I'm sorry, don't sell, don't sell this minor league system as having a lot of pitching talent. We do not. But it, with not the misses that we've had in the... Yeah, we, I mean, so basically we're just throwing darts for starting pitchers. Is that it? I mean, Mike, what do you think? I mean, I, is that what we're doing here? Well, here's the one piece with criticizing Antonetti that you just pointed to about locking up young guys to in pre-arb years. We haven't had any young pitching to lock up until now. Uh, if we look at good pitching, you have to go back to Cliff Lee in pre-arb years and that's 2002 when Antonetti's not even making these sorts of decisions. Carmona. No, they signed Carmona. They locked Carmona, but that's it. And they, he's really the only guy you would would have wanted to lock up, right? I mean, it, yeah. I think in terms talent-wise, until Salazar and maybe Kluber, if Kluber does all right now and then maybe someone else, there's not anybody would, else that we would I, want to keep around, I right? throw McAllister in there, though. I mean, I mean yeah. I'm, my point here is... Is you could you could wrap up a McAllister to a, a cost-effective deal for sure, and Kluber especially to me as a guy, uh, and certainly Salazar. I mean Salazar, and I know I know there's people are going to listen to this and say, well, only a half a year, but Mike, this kid has got special stuff. I mean, what's their plan? I want to know their plan this year. I mean, we could run into a situation where Salazar goes off this year and doesn't touch a long-term deal at the end of this year. Yeah, well, I mean, I pitched it. I love the idea of that. But and I I would do it now. I think you just tack some option years on because like like I said, I think it's like so if you if you if he if he just becomes a reliever, if he has arm issues and has to relieve, 
you're still only going to have, like, for his Arbiers, like, five years and, like, 20 million. That's not a lot to eat. Or maybe 30 million. And then you tack on two big option years, like 10, 15 per year. That's a lot of job security, especially for a guy with arm issues. I Get it done. I like that sort of deal. The point, and Jim, you know, you, you, I know you're saying it's uh, only half a year. I hear you. And, but, and, and I hear the critics there. But we talk about the Rays a lot. Remember Matt Moore. Three starts. Three freaking starts, oh. and they locked him yeah. up. Yeah. Because oh, I'm, you... I'm, yeah, I was just playing devil's advocate. I, I just signed Salazar last year. I mean, you oh, know what I, I think of him. I... Well, you know, I mean, when you have a talent like that, it's like aces are so hard to find. A guy who has ace potential, and we know because look at the Indians. The Indians have what had have developed two aces in the last in the last. 12 years, they've had two guys come through the system that I would say have ace potential strictly from them that weren't take, come from a trade at all, and that is CC Sabathia and uh, Danny Salazar in the last 15 years. Two. That tells you how hard it is. Everyone else who came in, you know, Cliff Lee, all these other guys that came from trade, but as far as developed from the system in 15 years, you're talking about two guys. That's pretty wild. Well, 15 years, Steve, and, and logistically, I mean, if you want to go prior to Sabathia, I mean, you're going to go a long ways. I mean, Nagy? Seriously? Cologne. Cologne, uh, Cologne was a trade. No, was free he? agent signing. Yeah, he was a free agent. You're right. Free agent signing for Cologne. Um, and then uh, Swindell, maybe? Yeah. I mean, it's just you know. I mean, we're talking five or less over the past twenty-five years. It's terrible. I mean, and it's that's funny a lot of misses. It's and at this point, it goes beyond the front office. It's like an organizational failure. You know what I mean? It's like it, it's just wild. You know, I mean, it's wild to think they've struggled so much. My, my point is, you know, it's it's like this with Danny Salazar. It's pretty scary to think that he throws a hundred miles an hour and that's his second best pitch. If that's all you need to say right there. If you have a guy like yeah. that, well, seriously, you lock him yeah, up. Yeah. You lock him up. Put the chains on that brother. Sign oh my that dude god! Lock him up. Well, I, you know, and you said it best. And, and here's what I love. Even if, even, and, and, and there's a lot of knock on him. And Mike and I were talking about this uh, while you were taking your nap today, Steve. Um, <laughs> Mike and I were talking about that third pitch, and there's a lot of people who are poo-pooing it. Um, you know, I and I'm going to segue. I, I don't want to talk a lot about this because I want Mike to talk. But I, you know, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about that third pitch. I, you know, it, does Danny Salazar live in a bubble? Is he not going to improve or try to improve this off season? And really, how much improving of that third pitch does he need to make? Mike, thoughts? He doesn't need to make a lot of improvement, and you know. People really like to be right. I'm one of these people. Uh, you know, I love my hair. I'm a narcissist. It's <laughs> you, okay. You, oh, you but, like uh, to be right a little bit, but it's not as bad as you think. But a Salazar you hate, hate is really... hate the people who like to be right. I do. I do. Salazar, people who poo-poo Salazar's slider are the ones that told you that he should be in the bullpen last year because he can't keep his arm healthy. And, and those are there's some really smart people there, and there's some people who have a lot of public credibility there. And so they have to find some way to cover themselves. When you have two of the top five pitches in Major League Baseball, two of the top five pitches, that changeup is what, probably the best changeup in Major League Baseball, and this fastball is one of the five best fastballs in Major League Baseball. Then the third pitch just has to be average. And, oh, wait, it was just average last year. It was competent. It's an average third pitch. 
He is a top of the rotation arm if he stays healthy. It's as simple as that. Move on. Sign him up and let's move on. Any criticism of the slider, people are just—it's ridiculous. It's like why they well, I, It's like why why do they find that to criticize of all things? Like complain about the best pitching prospect to come through the Indian system in what? Like we said, fifteen years. So they let's need find to be ready, guys. They missed. They missed. Let's find faults with him. Let's complain about him. You know, they let's, missed. The, the best gift. The best gift. That this team has had come to them in 15 years, 15 freaking years, and we're gonna complain about him? It's like, shoot, it's like you open up that Christmas gift and you're like, oh, it's okay. Are you kidding me? This is the best thing that's happened to the Indians organizationally in their farm system, possibly in 15 years. I'm not even kidding. As outlandish as that says, it's better it's than not. Christmas. It's better it's than right. honestly. It's the You're best right. thing to come to the farm system in 15 freaking years. Position player, starter, anything, and yet we want to find faults with it. Oh, oh! I could get really irrational about it, but I'm not going to go there. Uh, I love Salazar, and I think Salazar is a special talent. And and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, I think I think you know, looking at him in, in that bubble and assuming that he's just going to be the same pitcher. I mean, this is a kid who's literally two years ago was starting here in Carolina, who started the year last year in Akron and was pitching in the major leagues. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe there were, maybe he gave up some home runs. So what? The kid figured out what major league pit, hitting was all about. And I'm not saying he – well, I, I'm saying that he's going to figure some things out this year, and I'll just leave it at that. So a quick – can I, can I add something to that real quick? Yeah, quick second please. thing. We talk about his home run per fly ball against right-handed hitters, and it's a small sample size when we talk about the fact that his K-rate is absolutely unbelievable, even though it completely tracks with his minor league record. But we don't talk about the fact that it's a small sample size and giving up home runs to right-handed batters when he threw 50 innings, even though that is not reconcilable with his minor league numbers. So, come on. Well, no, I, my, my point exactly. And even if you could reconcile that, I, again... You're talking about a guy who had elite stuff who was making his first appearance in, in the major leagues and was dominant and was absolutely dominant. And he's a uh, boss, and, dude. He's a boss. Yeah. He's got, and, he, and, he, and he looks crazy on the mound, as Mike said, prior to, prior to the show, and, and you got to love some of that. Yeah. Uh, you know what made This is what I love about our, our podcast, man. We go off on tangents, and I love our tangents. And I will never apologize for them, and you can expect them at every podcast. We don't script a thing. Go ahead, Mike. No, no, it's just, you know, Salazar has that thing. What j made Jordan great was that he's crazy. What made Pedro great and all the, you know, really good pitchers, they're crazy. They think they're the best. They want to kill you. They're, they're murderers. He's a, he's a killer. Yeah. I want him on my team. He is. So, Wait, gentlemen, as, as we kind of wrap this up and, and we... I guess probably thankfully uh, don't talk about the Cavaliers today and the Browns. We'll do that at a later date. Uh, I guess as we head towards hey, opening Bennett's day. Back soon, by the way, though. Say that again. Anthony Bennett is coming back soon. Are you talking about Mo Spates? Is are we are we gonna make a move for Mo Spates soon? Mo Spates, yeah, yeah, Mo Spates, Mo Spates, yeah, Mo Spates, yes, yes. Is is is. Is there anything as we head into the regular season you guys want to see uh, over the next few weeks, over the next month, uh, from the Cleveland Indians uh, as we head into the 2014 season? Uh, Steve. 
hey, I, I just want to see. I want to see how this rotation works out. I want to see. You know, it's basically. Like like Mike said earlier, those comments from Francona were so telling about Carrasco. But they gave him this job nonetheless, even though they probably didn't want to, but they gave it to him because this is his last chance, his last possible chance. And I, I want to see what he has. You hear so much about the stuff, yet we show you that the statistics show that even with his good stuff, he's probably more of a back rotation starter than a front of the rotation starter anyhow. But I want to see something for him. I want him to prove me wrong. I want to be on this show in ten weeks with him still on the team and with him performing well. And with that final starter spot, basically that discussion ended. I want I want him to succeed and I want to be wrong. That's what I want. Yeah, I, well, I I'd love I mean that's the, at the end of the day, I mean, we don't root against these guys. We want them to do well. It's just history has proven him wrong so so many times. And I guess my question would be uh who's he going to bean first? Uh and and uh, to Norm out there who always rips on me for saying bean. Yes, I mean actually hit somebody in the head. Uh Mike, any thoughts out there for uh, the first few weeks of the season, uh, any concerns, any any highlights, anything you want to see right out of the gate? I'm actually really interested to see how Trevor Bauer pitches in Columbus, and I know that sounds crazy, but I'm starting to he and Tomlin, I'm really intrigued by the added velocity for Tomlin and Bauer started to show some signs of improvement of getting himself you know back in the right direction, um, and then. I'm really interested to watch J-Ram in AAA and how long it takes for J-Ram to force his way onto this team because I don't think it's going to take that long. Yeah, I, <laughs> we could spend another 30 minutes talking about J-Ram, uh, but I shall digress. Uh, we, we got, in the next couple of weeks, we got to talk minor leagues because uh, we got to get our Wendell love out. We didn't have a lot of time this today. Um, right. I am massively curious about how, um, over the next five weeks, they really plan on using Carlos Santana uh, at third base. Uh, he's got the starting job. They kept Chisenhall up uh, as kind of a protection there. Uh, I'm also curious at how they handle Chisenhall as well, but that third base scenario is, is what I'm looking at. Um, is he really the starter, or is this a, a facsimile of why they have a guy, why they have a, a Giambi's out, Bourne's out, and and, and maybe uh, the other thing uh, that I'm most curious about is Michael Bourne. Uh, I'm monstrously concerned about the hamstring. Um, this could be maybe that the first sign for me, and I know a lot of people were pointing to last year, but this is my first sign uh, that maybe uh, there's something to the fact that we're about to see massive regression from Michael Bourne. Uh, when your number one asset is speed, and you're still talking about the same hamstring that was supposedly bothering you most of last season, uh, that's a big issue for me, so uh, I'm really concerned there. I, I, I'm not concerned about Brantley playing center, but I'd rather him not. Uh, so as we kind of, uh, the last question I always ask you guys, uh, is there anything out there that you would like to plug? It could be Cleveland Indian stuff. It could be anything else. It could be nothing anybody else wants to see, uh, and I'm going to start with the guy who always has so much to say with this. Mike, anything you'd like to plug? Take a look at our pitching dialogue uh, that Steve put up for orbiting. Uh, another piece will be just take a look at CSI. John Grimm wrote an absolutely tremendous piece about the Miguel Cabrera contract uh, in a very satirical sense, which is it's incredible. Totally worth a read. Keep your eyes on CSI. We have five people contributing who have really insightful things to say, and it's going to start having more content more frequently over the next couple of weeks. 
Absolutely. Uh, as I, I, I bounce over to uh, my brother from my hometown, uh, Mr. Orbanic, anything you'd like to plug out there since uh, uh, Hattery uh, stole, stole the dialogue piece that went up on Friday? Yes, well, here's what I want to touch on, all right? Chuck's Last Call. You guys familiar with it? Yeah. All right. Well, Chuck, we're friends on Facebook and all, you know. We go way back. Anyhow, he posts on Facebook, CLC, coming back. Now, reason I want to, I don't know what the capacity of the show is coming back, but yeah, I want to touch on Chuck for a minute because he was the guy who, of course, last June... CLC, which is one of my favorite shows after every Indians game, has fun stuff, fun callers call in, usually drunk, goofy, fun stuff. I mean, off the wall. Anyhow, his show was taken off the air after he was arrested for driving under the influence. And it was, I believe, his second time this happened. It happened earlier in his career as well. Um, you know, of course, no one likes to see people go down that path, you know, but it, it was an unfortunate situation. Anyhow, since then, from what I understand, you know, Chuck's been making a real good comeback on St. Patrick's Day, for example. He offered to give people rides because he said, don't drink and drive. I know firsthand what's happening. Anyhow, so Guy certainly, you know, is battling, you know, all his struggles that have happened. He posts on Facebook that his show is coming back. I don't know what capacity. It's going to be an STO. I don't know what. Nonetheless, I just want to, you know, give it up for the man for, you know, getting his life together, for the fact that Chuck's last call is going to be returning. I don't know if it's going to be on STO, if it's going to be on the web. Somehow, CLC, Chuck's Last Call, is returning. Uh, I'm excited for it. You know, hopefully everyone else is. It's always good to see, you know, when we do that, you know, when we overcome these things and a guy giving a second chance, happy for him. Hope you guys are as well. That's my plug. Chuck's Last Call. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the dances, to the goofy calls, to the people complaining about the Indians. Whatever capacity it comes on, you know, it, it's going to be good. So to Chuck Galetti, you know, glad to have you back. Looking forward to it. Uh, it, your dream come true. I know we talked about this way too much last year, so um, uh, good plug. I, I didn't see that one coming. Uh, I'm going to make a very basic plug. Uh, make sure you check out, as, as Mike said, uh, www.clevelandsportsinsiders.com. Uh, we've got some content, not a whole lot over the past couple of months, but uh, I, I, of course, will be posting fairly regularly there over the next three weeks. Uh, John Grimm, who uh, first started posting with us uh, a couple of months ago, uh, is, has got some fantastic stuff there. He's also uh, got some really good stuff over at uh, IBI as well. Uh, all of Steve's stuff's there for the most part. All of Mike's stuff's there for the most part. My stuff's there. And, of course, uh, Jeff Ellis, who is the draft guru uh, at IBI, uh, he's there all, uh, posting uh, stuff about the NFL uh, podcast as well as uh, I have a, uh, his first mock uh, going up at some point this weekend, uh, and then tomorrow I'll have a Sunday drive up, uh, which should be a regular column uh, every Sunday, uh, and then I'll a bunch of stuff going up at IBI tomorrow, uh, and another podcast tomorrow as well. So uh, all of that stuff will actually be posted up at ClevelandSportsInsiders.com. So make sure you check that out. Uh, please check out the podcast. Uh, if it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, and all that information is available at www.ClevelandSportsInsiders.com. Go to the top. Uh, click on the radio piece and you can find us uh, YouTube, you can find us on iTunes, you can find us at SoundCloud, and of course you can find us at CSI as well. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we will be back far more regular now that baseball season is in uh, full effect. Uh, and listen, like I said, uh, 
on Smoke Signals, you'll see a, a much more standard show where we've got things a little more outlined. CSI is not that show. Uh, if you don't like us going off on tangents, if you don't like us going off on our, uh, then this isn't the show for you. Uh, we talk about what we talk about, and we like it, and that's the way we are. Why? Because if we were sitting in a bar, that's what we talk about. So, Mike, Steve, it's been too long, my friends. Uh, let's make sure we're doing this at least twice a week. All right, so we're going to close things up. Uh, episode 75 is in the books. Uh, tune into Smoke Signals tomorrow night, and tune into another episode of CSI as we get into the season here in the next week or so. Uh, I, I'm off, and I know uh, Mike has a lot of free time, and, and the working man, uh, Steve Orbanic, he probably can't join us, but I have a feeling uh, Mike and I will be popping up at some point this week. Uh, and, and, and Steve, I'm going to coerce into another show. And uh, maybe we'll some segue into some other stuff that we do uh, as well outside of CSI. But we'll get into that later in the year. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you soon. Things are exactly what they seem. I will define the things you dream. Have a good night, everybody.